Hey, Jesse, how you doing? I'm okay. I'm a little bit bummed out that we're having this fight about our up top banter. Oh my God. You are going to be fired after this show. Do I have the power to fire you? You think it's bad when we do the how's it going? I'm good. How are you thing? But I think people like to hear us say hi to one another. No, I think it's bad when it, I'm like, hey, Jesse, how are you? And you're like, good. How are you? It's like people don't come here to hear us to hear pleasantries. That's it. when you, um, when I lived in Germany, that was a hard thing to get used to. If you check out at a supermarket in America, How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. They look at you like you're a fucking alien because they assume that you actually well mean should. it. Like, but you don't mean no. it. Just like I don't mean it when I ask how you're doing. I'm just trying to be polite. I don't care how you're doing. Have you ever experienced that? Do they have Trader Joe's in New York? Yeah. Okay. Trader Joe's is something even more annoying. They ask, what are you up to today? None of your fucking business. <laughs> well, I uh, None of your business. just masturbated and that put me in the mood to go right. to Trader Joe's. Not only do we have Trader I'm Joe's. I'm doing a little self-care in quotes. Self-care. Not only do we have Trader Joe's, but New York being a psychotic place to live, you have to like wait in a line that sometimes wraps around the block just to get your shot at Trader Joe's. Just to get your like slightly discounted bean paste or whatever. Yeah. You got to get out of there. I, I'm sorry. Actually, I can't stay mad at Trader Joe's. It is objectively the best grocery store. Other than Lidl, actually, in Germany. which is All right. Cool. We get it. You've been to Germany. We get it. We're really here to discuss an email we got about your past, a damning email. <laughs> All right. You want to read it? Hello, Blocked Reported. This is a childhood memory of Katie that I think Jesse will enjoy. I'm a casual listener and enjoy your content. I randomly found you on Twitter probably for something you were blocked or reported for. I recognize Katie's name and blah, 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 blah. I'm going to add way more detail and background than you need just to add to the validity that this is a true story. I grew up in the same small mountain town as Katie. Kula who, Kula what, Kula where, Kula we. Is that an actual thing? Well, it's the town is called Kaluwi, but you pronounced it weird, but yeah. Ugh, country people. <laughs> Katie was friends with one of my best friend's little sisters. We were all often at this family's house together. Katie will remember the Laughlins. 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 We're going to get some random nice family canceled. Mm-hmm. Katie may not remember me because I was older, closer to her brother's age. I don't really remember many interactions with the twins, meaning you and Betsy, just that they were around. But I do have one very distinct memory of Katie. One year at our local small, oh God, this word. This is like, what's the word you can never pronounce? Oh, you can never pronounce what's her name's name? Nicole Hannah-Jones. Um, yeah, I can never pronounce Apple. Appalachia. Let me get, no, don't tell me. Oh, Sorry. Fuck. I was going to try to get it. Appalachian. One year at our small. You just mispronounced uh, it. It's not like Appalachian. 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 One yeah. year at our local small, that Methodist church, we were both at vacation Bible school. I cannot imagine you in vacation. <laughs> what a fucking disaster. Somehow Katie was able to insert a lot of details into every Bible story about Peter Pan. <laughs> There's an incredible amount of discussion about Peter ba- Pan at VBS that year. Katie was so convincing it added so much detail to her version of the stories that to this day, I'm skeptical of people that say that Tinkerbell wasn't at Jesus's birth. Keep up the good work and enjoy the memory. Katie, I'm going to need you to elaborate on this a little bit. What did you say about Peter Pan at Bible school? I have no recollection of this at all. Frankly, they are lucky that I didn't come in speaking Arabic and tell them that there is no God but Allah, um, or alternately that I didn't try to convince them all that there was no such thing as God at all. I still, I really have no memory of this. We did go to vacation Bible school at least once. Probably, my family was not religious. We probably did this because it was like cheaper than sending us to a real camp. Um, I, I sent this message to my mom, my sister, my dad. They don't remember it either. They don't remember me having like wild stories about Peter Pan. It's possible she's confusing me with somebody else. However, it's also possible that this is something I've told you before. My father, Dr. Hal Herzog, big fucking liar. I grew up thinking that my dad was in the Rolling Stones. He's a liar. And children, because they're stupid, tend to believe everything that parents tell them, including, for instance, like the existence of Santa Claus and Jesus. So 
I th- what I think pro- probably happened is that my dad told me some story about Peter Pan in the Bible, and I went to Bible vacation Bible school and repeated it. Nice. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Your dad is a liar. When I got dinner with him at their house, he said he enjoyed the podcast, and that doesn't really. Yeah, really definitely. Like, he always, like, every time I fucking talk to him, he's got something nice to say about you. It drives me crazy. Aw, how? <sighs> we had um, similar shenanigans that I do remember at Hebrew school. The absolute. The worst uh, period, which was, I don't know, maybe fourth or fifth grade. I had to go three times a week. So imagine getting was out. Was this of- like prepping for your bar mitzvah or is this just like after school care? That was separate. I don't. I think it's just the same of like parents maybe need a place to put you. So Wait, did you learn Hebrew? Do you speak Hebrew? Shalom. Uh-huh. Did that answer your question? Uh-huh. Uh, no, they would like teach us to sound out the letters. I can still read it if they have the vowel symbols, but I don't phonics. know what the words mean. The science they, of reading yeah, Hebrew. They taught us like Hebrew phonics, but without teaching us the meaning of what we were sounding out. Why? Doesn't seem particular. <laughs> I, I asked rabbi, whatever. Um, but so Tuesdays and Thursdays, imagine you're done with school. And then like an hour later, you have to go to a different, even lamer school for two hours. So we would just do anything we could to kill the time and get through it. And one tactic was to see who could ask the question that would eat up the most time for the teacher to explain. So you'd raise your hand and you'd be like, Mrs. Schultz, what is the uh, the meaning of the Torah. Mm-hmm. And then you would start your stopwatch and ideally that's 20 minutes down the drain. Wow. We had something similar in uh, in my shop class in middle school, but you just asked the teacher hunting stories. Like tell me about a time you killed a buck or whatever. Whole class just gone. You could not ask a Hebrew school teacher, tell me about a time <laughs> you killed a buck. <laughs> we grew up in very different places. We really did. And yet here we are together. Katie, what is the name of this, I guess, very religious podcast? <laughs> This is Blocked and Reported, and I'm Katie Herzog. And I'm Jesse Single. And today you're going to tell me a story, uh, another story, about a cafe running into some turbulent waters, yes? Yes, we have an implosion in Glasgow. Before that, I'm going to uh, host a new game, a really fun game, just the two of us, called Which is Dumbest. Uh, that's going to be amazing, I'm sure. Uh, also going to talk a little more circumcision, but before all that, we got to talk about Library Lady for a minute, right? Uh, yeah, I guess we have to. We're contractually obligated. This was this writer, and I guess novelist-to-be, who was tweeting about uh, how in debt she was and how unfair it was, how in debt she was, given how hard she'd worked. She did, would you say she went out of the way to mention her like Ivy League credentials, or is that unfair? No, that's not unfair at all. But of course, why would you go to an Ivy except to brag about the fact that you went to an Ivy? I can think of no other reason. I mean, I didn't go to an Ivy, but I still brag about the fact that I went to an Ivy. Yeah. I did. I did go to um, an Ivy for grad school. As I, whenever we get back on the mic, I always remind you of that. It's, Which one did you go to? Dartmouth. It was Dartmouth, and then they wouldn't let me come back. Yeah. Um. So yeah, this woman, who's her name is Molly McGee. She made the cardinal error of anyone who is seeking attention on Twitter in a way designed to talk about like a and at all controversial subject. If you seek attention, you should know that if your tweet or your tweet storm catches on. What's the first thing people are going to do, Katie? Drag your ass. Well, you oh, actually, no. They're going to search for your. They're going to search your your tweets for anything pr- potentially problematic or contradictory. Great minds think alike. The first thing yeah. that's going to happen, people are going to get mad at you. Then they're going to search for a fuller justification of the anger and search 
your old tweets for anything they can use. And eventually they did find a tweet. But I guess first, Katie, explain why exactly people were mad at this woman. Okay, Molly McGee, she's an adjunct at Columbia. She's a novelist. She says that in her Twitter bio that she's a best-selling author or editor. I'm sorry, not author. And uh, so she tweeted something about – she's since gone private, so I don't have the exact the exact tweet here. But she has tweeted something recently about her – about her student loans. She tweeted basically a screenshot of an email that she got from her lender, the federal lender, saying like, you know, uh, it's time to start paying your loans back because there was a, a, a grace period during COVID when people weren't required to pay their loans back. And, and your monthly payment is going to be an estimated like $1,200. And so she tweeted, at, she tweeted at POTUS, she tweeted Joe Biden, and she said something like, this is more than my rent. How can you expect people to pay this off? And then People, as you mentioned, they do what you do uh, when somebody has become the main character on Twitter. And they found a tweet. I also don't have a copy of this one because she's gone private. But they I've, tweeted, I found one. Okay, you got it. Read it, please. <laughs> it's a picture of a very pretty, cozy-looking library with, like, nice furniture. It's very I, nice. I, Much nicer than my library. I finished my library. <laughs> so people's, of course, the reaction was – you're complaining about your student loans. You seem to be doing okay given this nice library you have, which I admit is very funny. And I, I, I'm almost more entertained by this just because of this is like what always happens. Right. I'm not 100% sure this is fair. What do you think? I think – okay, here's what I think. So her complaint – first of all, her complaint is – Incorrect. Like she tweeted later that she's an adjunct at Columbia. She makes less than $35,000 a year. So she lives in New York. She has an extra room in her apartment for a library. So she's getting money from somewhere. I don't know how the hell you afford that on $35,000 a year. She, she, yeah, she did. I mean, she tweeted about her income in a way that made it sound like she really doesn't have money. Well, we'll return to the library. She said could, uh, adjuncts don't make salaries and I make less than thirty-five k a year. So she explicitly says I make less than thirty-five k a year. I still don't understand how places like Columbia with their yeah. crazy endowments can get away with that. But that, I guess that's a different issue. I, that, that does seem like – like I don't necessarily think that adjuncts should make more because they're teaching at private schools. But it is a little bit more grotesque if you're char- – I looked at Columbia's tuition today. It's like almost $65,000. It's pretty grotesque to have your adjunct. You know what, Katie? I don't think we should discuss big structural issues. We should focus on this individual <laughs> person and whether they're a bad person. That's more fun anyway. Okay. So her tweet is annoying. Like she's complaining about her student loan, but she also has an extra room in her house that she has turned into a gorgeous library. Granted, she said- I don't think the tweet- I don't know if the tweet's annoying. I don't know. Would the tweet have been annoying if you didn't know about the library? Here, No. Yes. Here's what's annoying about it. So she doesn't seem to understand that when it comes to federal student loans, and I know that she has a federal student loan because she posted this screenshot and she tagged student, she tagged Joe Biden, your federal your repayment plan is based on your income. So if she bothered to like click a link in the email and entered her actual income, her payment is not going to be $1,200 a month. It's going to be closer to zero. So <laughs> that's what's yeah. annoying about it is that she hasn't done the basic research to find out how you like go through the process of lowering your student loans. And then honestly, like if her if her income is that low, she could pay very, very little, just basically pay on the interest for the next 20 years. And then the, and then the loan is dismissed after that. So that's what I find annoying about this is that she's complaining about something without doing really, really basic research. Just Google federal loan repayment plans. They are adjusted for income. So she's complaining about something that she could easily fix. Anyway, so that's what I find annoying about it, besides the fact that she's just like her persona is annoying and the fact that she has a library is annoying. And she also like – she's 28. You should be broke at 28. 
That is just part of life. You are like everybody's fucking broke at 28. Yeah. I will say like uh, 28 having your own. It's all this like confusing stuff because it's like, I don't know much about her background, but having your own extra room as a library when you're 28 in a city like New York is just not a. Yeah. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I will say, sorry. If you look at the photo, I think maybe one thing non-New Yorkers don't realize, and I, I don't know, maybe this lady is like secretly fancy. If you walk around Brownstone, Brooklyn, you could basically furnish an entire extra room just from the shit people put outside their apartments uh, in one day of wandering Just around. with a bed bug infested mattresses. Yeah. So just like the presence of furniture in one extra room. Furniture is like basically free in New York if you don't care that much about quality. She says she lives in Flatbush. Is Flatbush – like a cheap Not part of fancy, New York? No. Okay. I mean, every part of New York is now getting gentrified, but Flatbush is like the kind of neighborhood where if you wanted your own library, you'd have to live that far out from like the trendy brownstone areas. Okay. So I guess we should be maybe a little bit more forgiving. So she says what she gets to is is something sort of interesting. She says that she comes from a poor background. I think she's from the rural South. Ew. And I think her point of this, yeah, I know. I think her, her point is that she has come from, from like generations of poverty and that even though she teaches at Columbia and she's a best-selling editor and she has a book coming out, she's she's always going to be poor. She's always going to feel poor. And I think there probably is something to that. But I do not think that the money that you're making at 28 years old is indicative of a lifetime of poverty. I also don't think that if she like went and got an MFA at Columbia or any or any MFA in fiction, I don't think that's a wise way to spend your money. No. I don't like MFA in fiction is not going to make you it's not going to make you a successful writer. It's not going to make you a rich writer. It might not even make you a better writer. Um, so I think that's sort of foolish. But also like 28. I mean, when I was 28, I was making way less than thirty five thousand dollars a year. And now I've got three boats and a jet ski. I mean, they are kayaks, but still. I was at a certain grad school. I mean, does it matter whether it was technically an Ivy League school, which, yes, it was. doesn't matter. Point is, I was in grad Dartmouth. school. Dartmouth. You were probably living in a dorm, weren't you? I was living in the... Princeton equivalent of a dorm, which is a castle. <laughs> I'm serious. Like part of the grad school oh, really? housing at Princeton is a castle. <laughs> if anyone like, it's just such an, it's ridiculous. If you Google old graduate college, it's just, it was. Did you live in the tower? And then would you let your hair down? <laughs> to let, to let gentlemen to collars. <laughs> there were not a lot of uh, collars those years. It was a little bit rough to be single there. Um, anyway, that's way too not to get personal. Well, so okay. So, what's our final verdict on Molly McGee? Should she be imprisoned for bad tweets, or are we going to let her off the hook? I guess we should let her off the hook because she's only a poor twenty-eight-year-old adjunct at Columbia. But she did do the thing, you know. She says something inflammatory. She gets criticized for it. She says, "Yeah, people are <laughs> my menchies. People are harassing me," and then she goes private. This is just like it's the cycle. It's the cycle of life. Yeah. Slash Twitter. It's it's the uh, I want attention. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. I want attention. Not that kind of attention. Right. If anything good comes of this, maybe she will figure out how to Google income-based repayment plan. It's uh, quite a tale. Okay. So, Katie, before we get to your big expose of the cafe, let's play a quick game called Which is Dumbest? I'm going to give you a couple of internet controversies, tell you about them. You can ask whatever questions you want, and then you have to decide which of the two is dumbest. How fun does that sound? Less than less fun than a game of pickleball. More fun than a game of tennis. Well, come on. I can't compete with that. This was going to be three different incidents, but I actually, because I'm such a good and open-minded reporter, I did a 180 on one of them. Did you see the video Grinder tweeted June 1st? 
during Pride. Of course I did. I saw it on Grinder, <laughs> on Grinder all the time. Just looking at buttholes all day. Okay, so I'm going to describe this video. Grinder posted it June 1st during Pride. And during Pride. The worst kind of during Pride. Come on in, our doors open, rainbow emoji, happy Pride. Is that a guy with like a cocktail glass? I don't know, some other emoji. Uh, and it says, doors open. We sent a grinder message to everyone within 20 miles of our headquarters. Here's who showed up. Here's part of that video. Hello. Okay. Hello. Hi, Diva. How do you identify? How do I what? I identify as a gay man. Gay male. Gay male. Gay. Gay man. Mainly as queer, but. To be honest, gay. Faggot, I think is probably my favorite way to identify. Bisexual. Trans man. I identify as a trans woman. I'm a lady boy. Non-binary and gay. A drag queen and a gender fluid man. Hypersexual. Verse. Hard bottom. Like non-negotiable. I am into men. I really like when someone's comfortable with both like their femininity and their masculinity. Pop play. Anything hairy. Rich. And hung. I think what I love about being queer, being like LGBT, is this like it feels like you're a part of this inside joke that nobody else gets except your community. Being queer has shaped me, gives me a level of confidence. Like growing up, getting bullied. If I could go through all of that, what can I not do? When you're around people that are just 100% authentic in themselves, you kind of shine. Taught me how to like be open to new perspectives. I'm open to therapy. A little more empathetic. I wouldn't pick heteronormativity for me. I love being a trans person. Not to be straight phobic, but being gay is literally the best. I'm really happy to be gay. Happy Pride! Gay rights! (laughs) Okay, so this generated a lot of angry responses along the lines of oh my god, Grindr's gone woke, Grindr has fallen, blah blah blah, stuff like that, which I originally thought was dumb. When I thought about it more, I became more sympathetic because, Katie, what's something you notice about some of the folks in this video? They're female. <laughs> <laughs> there are people in the video who appear to be female or, or you know, strongly femme presenting. And I just realized, like, I don't know, from the point of view of gay men, this is an app for gay men. It, I could actually see being a little bit annoyed by that. Do you think that's fair? I mean, you're you're dipping your foreskin into a very long and... Conflict. Go on. How are you? I'm curious how you're going to finish the sentence. <laughs> this is not a new controversy about Grinder. There are some men on Grinder who really hate the fact that they like let trans men on Grinder. They let women on Grinder now. And some gay men. I wrote about this for the Stranger years ago. Like some gay men absolutely hate this. Some gay men are inclusive and they'll fuck basically anything with a hole or a pole, whatever. So I don't know. The thing that I would be... It sounds like you don't think this is inherently stupid or herself. I mean, it's just, it's pandering. Like that, to me, the silly thing about this, okay, here's their message. We sent a grinder message to everyone within 20 miles of our headquarters. Here's who showed up. If I were one of those people who showed up, I'd be like, where's the butthole, man? Like, why Like, why are we doing a photo shoot? I came here to get my dick sucked. So I think that's what's problematic about here is catfishing these people to put them in an ad. If I were a gay man including this, I'd be very pissed. You think they were actually catfish? Like, it was yes. Like, he sent whole pics and okay. then they show up and then said they're doing an ad. <laughs> they probably didn't pay them for this either. Okay. No, I'm – okay. I'm joking about this. They probably just hired these fucking people to, to – uh, to, to come be a part of their ad i don't like i guess i can see why people are annoyed about this because this is a continuation 
of the expectation that homosexuals are no longer same-sex attracted, that we are same-gender attracted. And that is annoying to some of us. I mean, some queer people are all about it. I feel about this sort of the way I feel about – do you remember when we talked about that – Lesbian app, I think it's called Her. Brenda. Not Brenda. Brenda was – Brenda it's defunct. This is one that's like a a lesbian dating app. It still exists. And they allow trans women on the app. And some people who will go unmentioned, some males who will go unmentioned, decided to get on the app and make a point by making profiles of themselves and pretending to be lesbians. And my feeling about that then and my feeling about this sort of now is that – The people who own that app, the women who own that app, are woke as fuck. They want it to be inclusive. And so the critics of this are trying to force the women who own the app into doing something that they don't want to do. And, like, I'm not – like, if I'm on a dating app, I don't want to see a bunch of trans women on the app. Like, they're not in my demographic or whatever. I would find that annoying, but I think it is more fucked up to try to force the people, force the women who own the app into doing your bidding, yeah. you heterosexual male who have decided that you are the hero of this group. Yeah. It's not entirely parallel because Grindr is owned by, like, some straight Chinese men. They are just doing what is going to make them the most money. Yeah. So, okay. End of the day, we're going to let Grinder off the hook. Here are the two incidents. You have to choose which one's dumber uh, for the betterment of society. First event. During a recent NBA playoff game in Miami, there was a weird promotion where one of the Heat announcers, Miami Heat announcers, steps into the middle of the floor during a timeout to interview UFC superstar Conor McGregor about his new pain relief spray. Um, what? Which, just to be clear, I'm currently spraying this all over my nude body, <laughs> despite how much it burns. So, Wait, was this, was this sanctioned or were they just like in on it together and they're like, let's make some bucks. Let's do some spawn con. Dude, imagine you're at a, a, a playoff basketball game and there's a timeout and suddenly Conor McGregor and the Heat announcer are mid-court touting a pain relief spray. So Conor McGregor is booed immediately. I, I don't know. And he's a boxer? He's or a, a UFC guy, like Ultimate Fighting. Okay. He, he's, okay. A, he's, an, he's like a household name for everyone but you. He's really famous. I didn't know anything about the sport, so I asked Twitter why Conor McGregor would get an instant booing. I got some helpful responses. One mentioned he'd been accused of rape in Dublin. That's not fun. Another person said, quote, he punched— Do you think basketball fans really give a shit about that? Come on. Well, so maybe it's more this. Quote, he punched an old man in a bar for not accepting Conor's whiskey while promoting it, threw a chair through a bus window another fighter was on, and cut his eyeball. The guy couldn't fight, regularly plays the heel nowadays, the bad guy, but has done some stupid crap that brought bad PR. Another, more to the point— Twitter person said, quote, he's a massive cunt. <laughs> this whole setup just seems very bizarre. Like, we're, like, no matter who it is, why are they having a pain spray promotion thing in the middle? Like, isn't right. that when cheerleaders are supposed to be doing their thing? <laughs> we're off to a bad start. But They should have so, made Connor, whatever, Connor Oberst, they should have made him cheerlead. While Connor Oberst versus Connor McGregor. Spray. Yeah, Connor Oberst with his bags uh. flapping in the wind. Okay, so toward the end of this promotion on the floor of the Miami arena, the Heat mascot comes out in boxing gloves to challenge McGregor to a fight in like a scripted bit. Uh, Mascots wrestling or fighting with people is like a cherished American sport and tradition. Katie, watch the video, the YouTube video I put here. (laughs) Okay, so, so in the video, the mascot gets in his face. 
and Conor McGregor quote unquote knocks him out with a left hook I guess I think that's what a left hook is I don't get in fights I resolve my disagreements like a gentleman on Twitter um, the mascot tumbles to the ground theatrically like a sack of rocks and then McGregor takes another swing at him and and this is all appears to be a scripted bit like a bunch of the cheerleaders or the hype squad or whatever run over and begin like fanning the mascot down and tending to him. Then they drag him off the court um, just on his back. They're sliding him off the court. I've correctly summarized the content of that video, right? Yeah. He attacked a furry during pride month. He attacked a furry during pride, which is a hate crime. Here's the thing. Apparently McGregor actually punched the mascot in the head so hard that he had to be taken to the hospital and treated, according to The Athletic. Okay, this guy is a cunt. This generated a very memorable headline in The Independent. Conor McGregor offers update on Miami Heat at mascot after punching incident. So according to that article, McGregor is now claiming it was all a skit. Nothing bad happened. Uh, if you believe Conor McGregor over The Athletic, which cited an NBA source, I've got a pain spray to sell you. <laughs> so... Imagine you're this mascot and like your boss is like, hey, we want you to take part in this cool promotion involving Conor McGregor. You're like, holy shit, Conor McGregor. Like, yeah, you guys will pretend to fight, blah, blah, blah. Everyone will cheer. Next thing you know, you're on your back because Conor McGregor, like one of the most, you know, strong. I don't know if he's one of the most strong people in the world, but like a professional fighter has knocked you on your ass. So that's the first candidate for which is dumber or which is dumbest. Oh, wait, I thought this was the second candidate. Or the third candidate. Why? Are we are we not is Grinder not a candidate? Is Molly McGee not a candidate? Actually, let's just make them all candidates. Why not? Yeah, they're all candidates. Yeah. Okay. So that's our third candidate for, which is dumbest. We put a lot of thought and planning into this. Uh, okay, ready for the final candidate? I guess. Okay, Katie, let's embed this video of Eat Pray Love author Elizabeth Gilbert. The text of this video reads Important announcement about the snow forest. Please note that if you are charged for your pre order, you will be fully refunded. Thank you so much. Hi everybody, it's Liz and I have an announcement to make. So last week, I announced the um, upcoming publication of my most recent novel, a book called The Snow Forest, that was set in the middle of Siberia in the middle of the last century and told the story of a group of individuals who made a decision to remove themselves from society, to resist the Soviet government, and to try to defend nature against industrialization. But over the course of this weekend, I have received an enormous, massive outpouring of reactions and responses from my Ukrainian readers, expressing anger, sorrow, disappointment, and pain about the fact that I would choose to release a book into the world right now, any book, no matter what the subject of it is, that is set in Russia. And I wanna say that I have heard these messages and read these messages and I respect them. And as a result, I'm making a course correction and I'm removing the book from its publication schedule. It is not the time for this book to be published. And um, I do not want to add any harm to a group of people who have already experienced and who are all continuing to experience grievous and extreme harm. Um, so that is the choice that I have made. And I've got other book projects that I'm working on, and I've made a decision to turn my attention to working on those now. So I just wanted to let everybody know that, and thank you very much. I imagine there had to be more to the story. 
then the book just like took place there. Well, was that your impression that there had to be more to the story? The only thing I thought is like maybe she's like way behind on her deadline because this just makes no sense. No sense whatsoever. Like the doesn't sound like the, the Soviets are the heroes of the no. story. In fact, it sounds like they're the villains of the story. I can't imagine that Ukrainians who are actually impacted by this war give a shit about Elizabeth, about this like American author's book while they are trying to survive being invaded by a fucking country. You don't think that affected their morale on the front lines <laughs> that Elizabeth Gilbert wrote an anti-Soviet novel? She needs to finish the book and send a bunch of cops, give all, all Ukrainians copies. Doesn't that sound like a better way to, to resist the, Putin's war in Russia than this? I, this one is, even by our standards, this is bizarre. It does not appear, like no one's even claiming the book is pro-Russian propaganda. It has nothing to do with the present ongoing conflict. It, it appears people are mad just that she said it in Russia. And they like review bombed her Goodreads. Before the book is out. They have not read this book. Right. Like, like advanced review copies are not out. This is a book where the heroes are part of right. the anti-Soviet resistance, like heroic, facing down one of the most evil empires in the 20th century. And no sane person could accuse Gilbert of, like, riding Vladimir Putin's dick. And, and it makes no... Oh, wait. You know what? I think she dedicated it to him. <laughs> I think this that was is my it. good friend, Vlad. Yeah. yeah. Good luck in Ukraine. <laughs> Do you have any idea if this were actual if this was like actual Ukrainians complaining about this or was this like Americans with Ukraine flags in their bios? If I I don't know. I had to guess. I mean, right. She's pandering to the dumbest most knee-jerk morons on Twitter and I feel like those are disproportionately like American radlib types. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if there's like a couple of Ukrainians thrown in there, but the, it doesn't make the argument any less dumb. Have you ever read her work? Uh, no. Did you eat, pray, love? I did not eat. I did not eat. I did not pray. And I did not love. She's a great writer. That is not her best book, but she's really funny. She's really charming. She's a very likable character. She also went through a lesbian stage and her wife died. Um, yeah, she's hugely likable. This was this was disappointing to see uh, as a as a fan of, of Elizabeth Gilbert. I feel like it's interesting to watch this very um, like. Oberlin conception of harm. I feel like Oberlin is like the one school we're always allowed to bash when shit, it's like everything's Oberlin's fault. And Dartmouth. Um, it's like this conception of harm. It's interesting that it has like trickled up from like Tumblr and weird people at Oberlin to like Elizabeth. Like how did Elizabeth Gilbert learn to use harm in this completely vague weaponized way? Maybe she's just on Tumblr too much. <laughs> Do you think she's on Tumblr? Does Tumblr even exist at this point? <laughs> I don't know, man. It's just, it's so weird to see this stuff in the wild, but I guess we shouldn't be surprised anymore. What I found interesting about this is that she got very little support outside of like people with Ukraine flags in their bio and the initial people who were complaining about the book. Authors, journalists, PEN yeah. America. There were lots of, of op-eds written about how this is such a mistake. Even people who have previously denied the existence and written thousands of world of, of words on the non-existence of things like uh, like cancel culture. Like who's that New Republic? What's his name? Um, Oswita. Oswita Nuanavu. 
I don't know if he works for the ministry. Well, he he was even tweeting about how there was something like creepy about this. Not that she like was canceled, but she self canceled. Yeah. And there were some good opinion pieces about this. Our friend Kat Rosenfeld wrote one, and then Kat got <laughs> got like dogpiled for pointing out the ridiculousness of this. So people were still like like even in the mentions of her of her tweet when I first look at it before I got much traction, there were many many people were thanking her for this sacrifice. I guess. But what is the argument? I, I just. I, it worries me that we're now at a point where I cannot even like we talk about a lot of dumb arguments on the show and I can at least explain what the other person's arguing. I can't even put it in a sentence. What is the argument? There is none. It doesn't make any sense. It's like it, it just it doesn't make any sense. A, a book set in Russia where the Soviets are the villains of the story. It makes zero sense. So, Katie, which is dumbest? You have to choose just one between I already can't remember. Library lady. Grinder tweet reaction to Grinder tweet. Um, uh, Elizabeth Gilbert and Conor McGregor punch out the mascot. You have ten seconds. Okay, so nine. Elizabeth Gilbert, obviously, but because it's Pride Month and Conor Oberst hit a furry during Pride Connor Month. Oberst. I think obviously I have to go with that. I have to go with the assault, the one that caused real harm. Conor Conor Oberst would get his ass kicked by like Eddie Furry. That would not be a fair fight. Right, yeah. <laughs> and then he'd write yeah. like a... No, I think that Elizabeth Gilbert, this was the okay. dumbest. I'm sorry. I'm a fan of hers, but this was the dumbest. What do you think? I think like the Conor... O- the Conor... No, I keep saying Conor... <laughs> the Conor McGregor thing. Like, we sh- they should have <laughs> seen He was also crying while he did it. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I'm going to go Elizabeth Gilbert too. Just yeah. in terms of sheer dumbness. It's not the most entertaining of them. I find... The McGregor one most entertaining, especially when you watch the video of the mascot being dragged off, like it, and then realize it's real. But uh, yeah, Elizabeth Gilbert. So, uh, thank you for playing that game with me, Katie. I award you ten points. Oh, great! I will cash those in at the end of the month. Um, okay, before we get to housekeeping, I just want to uh, follow up on a few quick circumcision things. Will, will you allow me to do that? Oh, I was hoping we wouldn't have to do this again, but yes. Here's an email we got about everyone's favorite bodily substance. Snot. Smegma. <laughs> <laughs> Katie, what's your what's been your experience with smegma over the years? Very little. You know, I, I, although I will say, you remember how I said that my least favorite word was penis? Yeah. We found a new one. I'm still, the fact that you would pick penis over moist surprises me, but... Uh, uh, to each her one own. has positive connotations, one has <laughs> negative connotations. How, penis, how does penis have negative connotations? Uh, You're talking to a, an actual homosexual, Jesse. So, yeah, this email just that was the subject line, smegma, which I found very mysterious. You got through a whole episode on circumcision without mentioning the smegma? Question mark, exclamation mark, question mark. Is that because it's the best argument in favor of circumcision and you're straw manning, or did you really not know? Seriously, washing your dick isn't hard for an adult. Constantly cleaning out the foreskin of your infant, toddler, preschool, uncircumcised penis haver, not so fun. Wait until your young lad repeatedly fails to properly clean himself and the foreskin gets stuck in his penis head and rips the next time it gets pulled back or you're faced with a trip to the pediatric office to get it unstuck. Other specific anatomical details. Um... Blah, blah, blah. Jesse made a good point about people in their priors. There really are a lot of bad arguments for and against circumcision, but there's one good argument, smegma. I've yet to hear a good argument against. I don't really understand why this is such a hot topic in civilized countries, why people come out so strongly for or against sincerely anti-smeg. Uh, anti-smeg, I would just go back to what I said about like cost-benefit ratios. I, I think in modern society, you can probably keep your kid's dick clean am i am i being a reactionary pro smegma pundit here i mean i consider that you are pro smegma considering that you donate your tenth of the money every month to the pro smegma society the national smegma fund yeah um here's what i want to know 
So you mentioned that in Europe, it is uncommon outside of like Jewish and Muslim cultures. It is it is uncommon to circumcise. So I am assuming that we have some European listeners who can write in and tell us, is smegma an issue yeah. with toddler penises where you live? How how has <laughs> child smegma, pediatric smegma influenced your life? Make sure to send us some pictures. No, so we can no pics. Really- <laughs> no pics. Those go directly to Jesse. Um. Yeah, the same. I just I don't think this really affects my cost benefit argument. Same goes for this other condition that I didn't mention. I don't think called phimosis or the inability to retract the foreskin. Funnily enough, Boston Children's Hospital in their list of the benefits of circumcision says you won't have to worry about phimosis, which is like yes, if you remove a body part, you then don't have to worry about it not working. If you remove your hand, you don't have to worry about hangnails anymore. <laughs> exactly. Um, We'll just include some links to the Fomosis argument. I just, I, to me, like none of this really affects the argument that, like, it's you are removing working functional tissue uh, over these very minor health concerns. Fomosis is not a big deal. We did get a couple of emails from women who were like, "You forgot to mention the fact that lots of women find the circumcised penis more aesthetically pleasing." Yes, we forgot to mention that. Two real non-experts here. Uh, I think that can be, you know, that's that's interesting. I think that's also probably cultural. Yeah, of course. Because in places like, again, Europe, where this isn't common, I would doubt that it's a big deal. And as far as I know from what I have read in these emails, when the penis is erect, it like sort of – it retracts. Is it? It's like a cat's claws. It's just like yeah. a cat's claws. And then so so presumably you can't really tell the difference between a circumcised and uncircumcised. No, I think with like I assume with like mouth stuff you can. <laughs> I will say I will. So my friend, let's call him Smegma. <laughs> um, he was backpacking in South America and he hit it off with the Argentine girl who was like managing the hostel he was staying at. They hooked up. She takes off his pants or he picks, takes off his pants. She sees his penis for the first time, looks him in the eye and she goes, Israel. (laughs) (laughs) I fucking love that story. Uh, That's not, that's not women might find it weird because most people are circumcised is not. I don't think that's a good argument either. Right. At this point, I'm probably just dug into my position. That's um, because you're trying to grow your covered in smegma. Again, it's cultural. Like women find it more attractive because that's, how it is, but if that's how it wasn't, women probably wouldn't find it more attractive. To me, this just this does not seem like a good reason to cut off a body part. Yeah. We don't cut off nipples because some people find the Marilyn Manson look attractive. Mm-hmm. Actually, some of us do. It's a good look. Uh, okay, one, one other <laughs> critique from the episode came from someone who was mentioned in it, Brendan Murata. You should go back and listen if, if you don't know what I'm talking about here, but Murata was at one point considered a mainstream anti-circumcision activist. He produced like a, a big documentary about it. Then he was accused of white nationalism by another very big name in the movement, Eliyahu Ungar Sargon. We get into some of this. Murata claims this is a witch hunt. He subsequently wrote a book, Children's Justice, which takes the very odd, to my eyes, approach of trying to marry critical theory speak to anti-circumcision arguments. So that's taken him like weird and questionable places, like accusing Judaism of being um, inextricably linked to systematic pedophilia. Uh, And and this is because he considers... Circumcision pedophilia? Yeah. He, I, I looked more into that. He says that because this is his actual argument, not mine, obviously. Because, like, people get cultural or religious pleasure out of circumcision, he considers considers it pedophilia. 
I find that argument to be batshit insane. That is not what pedophilia is. Like, Just like pedophilia is also not when you take your child to a drag queen story hour. Nope. People, let's like stick with the definitions of terms, please. Again, I, we read this quote last time, but I just want to like, I want to be clear about how out there this stuff is. This is a quote from his book, quote, while Jewish people might want to separate Jewish identity from systemic pedophilia rather than abolish it, it is not enough for Jewishness to not be pedophile. Not a pedophile is not an identity. Jewishness would have to be anti-pedophile, meaning that Jewishness would have to be an identity that actively opposes systemic pedophilia, blah, 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 blah. He's just, he's trying to do the um, Ibram X. Kendi thing. I, I don't find it cute. I don't find it interesting. And I, Do you think he f- he took an Ibram X. Kendi quote and did like find, replace racism with pedophilia? I, I don't understand. It's like, it's like, I can't tell how much he... He's a weird guy. He argues that he genuinely thinks this is the way to convince people or a more fruitful approach. But then it sometimes seems like he's just like trying to point out the contradictions in critical theory. Like, well, if you'd say this about white people, would you say this about Jewish people? It's like, I don't know who he's preaching to here because obviously we think aspects of Ibram X. Kendi and Robin D'Angelo are ridiculous. Right. Right. No one who's who's sympathetic to this is like defending them. Anyway, after our podcast went up, he published an audio post titled Response to False Claims Made About Me on Blocked and Reported Podcast. I checked out uh I checked it out and I'm convinced like there's not much we did wrong and I can't see anything we should correct. It seems like the vast majority of what he's talking about comes down to matters of opinion and evidence. Um I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here, but I do think there's something that might be useful for people to know about like journalists and how we report on when people disagree. When you're a journalist, you have to decide how much of what someone is claiming to bring to your readers or listeners. If I interview you and you're involved in a controversy, I'm not going to write or listen to about every one of your claims in detail because that would often be impossible, right? I mean, this is just a basic choice you have to make. Yeah, same thing with documentary filmmaking. These are choices that people have to make. Yes. There were things Murata told me over email and his email with Trace that I did not mention the episode because I didn't think they were relevant. And I did not want like a deep dive into this fundamentally unknowable conflict um, which was secondary to the segment to make the episode unlistenable. So, for example, um, I'll give one example of one that maybe I should have included. Murata's wife is non-white, and he'd been accused of white nationalism. I actually don't think that bears on the question of whether Ungar Sargon's accusations are true. Like, you can, in theory, be racist and have a non-white wife. Plantation owners slept with their it's slaves. Like, it's not compelling. I'm obviously not. Well, they didn't marry him. Well, they had sometimes they had meaningful relationships with them. And I'm obviously not comparing him. I'm just using an extreme example. Um, on that one, though, you could at least argue that I should have mentioned it, like to let listeners decide, right? I think that that's a detail worth mentioning. Yeah. It, it doesn't like it's not exculpatory, but I think it's a detail worth mentioning. I don't sure. think that like somebody who is in the KKK, for instance, would marry a black woman, probably. Um, yeah. You know, we're not accusing – nobody accused him of being in the KKK, though. Okay. So Murata ended up sending me a bunch of brief snippets of recordings that he said were from a journalist he hired to look into this who interviewed Ungar Sargon. And with these recordings, Murata sent uh, written descriptions of what each clip supposedly proved. And after listening to them, I just got to say I'm in the same place I've been all along. I These clips just reiterate that Ungar Sargon had been talking smack behind the scenes about Murata. Uh, describing him as holding white nationalist views, but that wasn't in dispute. No, they don't disagree on that. So I just disagree with the idea that these recordings prove there was a defamation campaign against Murata. It, w- it was as I suspected all along in, in this case. Um, so I'm just going to post links to all the MP3s and Murata's full email sharing them uh, in the show notes. 
folks can decide for themselves. Katie, does that seem like a fair way to handle this without getting bogged down any further? Yeah, I think people should just, if you want his side of the story, just listen to his his post. Yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes. All right, housekeeping. Katie, you do housekeeping. I've been talking a lot. No, I got to talk a lot next time. Ugh. We're a podcast. We're Blocked or Imported. Go to blockedorimported.org. You can become a primo where for just $5 a month and up, you get three extra episodes of this podcast every month, including our last one, which was about, say it with me at the count of three, one, two, three. No idea. I don't remember. <laughs> oh, polyamory. Yes. Demisexuality. Yep. We decided who is a lot at Pride. We decided which identities are real and which are fake. Uh, and this is final, our decisions. Yes, we are the judges. Uh, so yeah, you can get that. You can go to our Reddit, uh, blockedandreported.reddit.com, where there's currently a minor controversy raging over whether I failed to correct a statistical error someone said they found in my work. So you can check that out. That'll be fun. Oh, interesting. What's the yeah. error? Did you do it? Are you guilty? Dude, it's so in the weeds. It doesn't, it's just like minor error that doesn't actually affect the post in question, but I did forget to get back to this guy. I was like, I'll get back to you in a day or two. And that was April. So it was my fault. But anyway, oh. that's the kind of exciting <laughs> stuff. <laughs> I'm two months late. Uh, but yeah, no, this subreddit gotcha. has amazing, really good controversy controversies, conversations, as does our comment section, which you also comment section. You need to be a primo to be, to gain access to what else do we need to tout? We have merch. Go to We have merch. Blogs are imported. Fuck, what is it? Nope. Barpodmerch.com. Yep. And yep. check out our new stuff. We now have hats and we have this amazing listener created email with a email. You can sell I an mean, t shirt with a fat man in a diaper. Yep. Everyone's dream. Uh, I think that's it for housekeeping. Wait, review us on iTunes. Oh, dude, also, we're losing the 4.6, 4.7 war. So you need to go rate us on, please, you don't need to. Sorry, I didn't mean to say you need to. You, you can. don't need to do anything. You may. We're so happy you're here. You can. Yes, you can. Si se puede. Yes, we can. Rate us on iTunes to get us back to 4.7. Um, Because it's sad to yeah. see 4.6. That's a 92, and we were both straight A students. We would never get a 92 on anything. At Vacation Bible yeah. School, I was a, a student. Okay, Katie, tell me a story. All right, Jesse, we have sad news from Scotland. The Pink Peacock has closed. No, not the Pink Peacock. Uh, what's the Pink Peacock? Okay, do you remember our episode from a few weeks ago about the closure of the anti-capitalist anarchist cafe in Toronto? Yes. Okay, picture that, but somehow more annoying. <laughs> I'm having trouble picturing that, to be honest, but I'll give yeah. it a shot. The owners, uh, at least a few of whom are American, they describe it on their website, which, by the way, is pinkpeacock.gay, as a quote. gay? It's mm-hmm. <laughs> awesome. Queer Yiddish anarchist cafe and info shop in Glasgow's south side. The area where it was located is called, I'm really going to butcher this one, Govan Hill. And Gavonal. Probably, Gavonal. probably something closer to like Gavonal. Yeah, probably. And uh, according to my anonymous Glasgow correspondent, it's, quote, historically full of immigrants, diaspora, and has been gentrifying for a while now. So as often happens, this area is popular with sort of young queers who like to drink and go to art shows. Uh, the cafe served bagels, coffee, desserts, mocktails. It was alcohol-free. Everything was vegan. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Jesus. And every item on their menu was pay what you can, plus they had a, a fridge full of free food to give away. So this is like unlike the Toronto Anarchist Cafe where only drip coffee was pay what you can. Everything at this coffee shop was pay what you can. They said everyone was welcome except for cops and turfs, um, who are, of course, equivalent to cops because they police gender sex and hand out parking tickets. And unlike the Anarchist Cafe in Toronto, this place was actually a collective. So this is from their website. 
The Pink Peacock operates with a non-hierarchical structure. There are no owners, bosses, or managers. The cafe is governed exclusively by its workers and community members, and decisions are made by consensus. So when I said a second ago that some of the owners were Americans, I guess I should have said some of the collective members, community members were American. Some of the founders were American. Right. Uh, uh, Jesse, have you ever worked at a cafe? I've done work at a lot of cafes. Have you ever been paid to work at a cafe? That I have not. Okay, I've worked at a bunch of them, including a cafe and a lesbian bookstore. And I'm trying to imagine what this decision-making by consensus looks like when, as is typical at a cafe, half the people are fucking each other, the other half hate each other because they're dating their ex-girlfriends, etc., So I imagine there was lots of internal drama at this place. Uh, The website also says, quote, the cafe is a community interest company, meaning that its assets are owned collectively by the community rather than by the collective or anyone else. Than the collective or anyone else. Not sure I understand. I don't understand that. Owned by the community rather than the collective or anyone. Yeah. Okay. Every member of the collective is volunteering while we work to make it financially sustainable. So in other words, nobody was getting paid for this. Okay, so... The collective, according to the website, was most recently comprised of 29 members. They posted some but not all of the members' photos and bios on the site because, quote, not all of our collective are pictured below at their request for their safety and privacy. Uh, The profiles that they did include, they were exactly what you'd expect. So let me read one for you. Meet Molly, pronouns it, they. Can you talk about the, the spelling of Molly? This is a messed up culture. The Scots. M-A-L-L-A-I-D-H. It's Irish. Irish. Malat. 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 Irish to me, like UK languages always to me sound like somebody is deaf, like has a uh, like has trouble hearing. That's racist. Molly is an Irish bisexual non-binary sex worker and the tallest person you're likely to encounter. It is sporadically disastrous and consistently drowning between its irregular and short-lasting attempts to resurface in a deep pond of viscous depression-infused waters. It's managed... Is that supposed to be vicious depression? What did I say? It does say... No, no, it says viscous. Viscous. It's a hard word as well. It's managed to acquire a degree in computer science and is in the long and arduous process to get a good job of trying to claw its way through an anxiety-inducing thicket of trauma brought on by an intensely stressful dissertation where it went a bit mad. <laughs> Katie, I think we could just say it goes on in this vein for quite some time. Wait, let me just finish this part. <laughs> all right, all right, finish it. In person, Molly is likely to present itself as a bit spaced and somewhat lost or intimidating and uninterested if you come across it while it's out somewhere as an intentional... Whilst it's out somewhere, sorry. Whilst it's out somewhere as an intentional attempt to evade conversation as it has an inability to filter sound in noisy environments and communicate effectively thus opting for a mysterious and aloof persona. Molly struggles with eating enough food and drinking water. It enjoys cycling, lifting of weights, and ill-judged adventures. Jesse, let me get this person's phone number for you. I think you would make a great couple. Yeah, can I just say, based solely on what you've read about this one employee, my can I make a prediction? Sure. This is going to turn out to have been actually a very well-functioning cafe. <laughs> everything went well. What Based just on what you've read so far. What sex do you guess that Molly is? Uh, this one's actually going to hurt. The tallest person you're likely to encounter, I would say male. You're correct on that, at least yeah. judging on its photo. What do you think about this pronoun, it? It does seem a little dehumanizing to me. The, the, this was a da- great Dan Savage article. Yeah. One of the few times Dan Savage, us, and uh, what's her fucking name have been on the same page. Who? You know who I mean? The awful Twitter person. Mo- um, Jude? 
No, God, not Jude. Um, who uh, the person who's always on Twitter who we get always who hates us. The transactivist. Jesse, there. I mean, my God, the list. I'm not really narrowing it down. No, you. I can picture her. I can picture her. Her Twitter. Her. Oh my God. You're not helping at all. That's so good. That's because I haven't been on Twitter. I forgot her name. Anyway, describe the the avatar. Um, dark hair. I want to say glasses. Um, she like gets really mad at people and sometimes calls their bosses. Okay, this could be anybody. This could be. <laughs> I'm really not narrowing it down. God, I really, I really don't know who you're talking about. All right, if I remember it, I'll you say. Have it. But to. the point is, <laughs> there's an amazing. People should look up this article where Dan Savage gets pilloried for his hate crime at a university talk, and there's a climax I won't give away, but it involves a pronoun it, which comes across as very dehumanizing, I think. Yeah, yeah. in Dan's case, some I'm going to go ahead and spoil it. Dan didn't it somebody. Somebody itted itself. Someone self-itted. Yeah. They itted all over themselves, yeah. Okay, there's also Stacy. Stacy's another uh, volunteer at the cafe. Stacy goes by she, th- she, they. Stacy is a non-binary bisexual living on stolen land in the USA. She helps at the cafe, however, and whenever needed, either remotely or in person when visiting the rainy fascist island. You'll often find them as a chat mod on video events or sitting at a cafe table, computer in hand, updating spreadsheets or organizing emails. It seems they are a cafe geek. He is a witchy Jew and does spell work to demolish capitalism and the patriarchy and to rid our planet of profit motives and borders. They are so very proud of the collective and the good trouble it creates and encourages. <laughs> so this is the switch. Sorry. <laughs> I do respect pronouns, but this is switching pronouns every sentence. Every sentence. Yes. Yes. He is a witchy Jew. Yeah. So what's a witchy, Katie, what's a witchy Jew? So you're a witchy Jew. You're a bitchy Jew. Okay. So this is something that people, so, so people do this. So they'll say like, my pronouns are she, it's not, it's not usually she, he, they, it's usually like she, they, or he, they, usually she, they. And some people, and most people would like default to just the normal pronoun. In this case, it would be she, Stacy, or he actually, Stacy might be a natal male. I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, so and, but you're not supposed to default. Like, that's problematic. You're supposed to use all three of the pronouns. Wait, is that actually the etiquette now? You're supposed to mm-hmm. use all three? Yeah. I mean, we might have reached Peak. my <laughs> limit here. I well, Yeah, I'm not going to do that. That's your limit? That's my I think we've we found my limit with some of the genders. If someone lists three pronouns, I just I figure I could just use one of them. No. I guess I don't have a lot of real-world experience with people who use multiple ones. You're supposed to cycle them? Like, how often do you have to cycle them? Every sentence, apparently. Okay. Well, good for... She, he, they. She, he, Okay, they. so yeah. the website also, they conveniently provide what they call a diversity monitoring analysis. It's basically a spreadsheet of all of the collective members' various identities. And then again, this is in, in Glasgow, which mm-hmm. is well-known for being a very diverse yeah. place, right? Okay. So I checked out the spreadsheet. The as of the most recent update, all of them were under the age of 36. Surprise, surprise. Or almost all of them. I think there was one person. So not them. a lot of age diversity. No. We wouldn't be allowed no. in. Yeah. They had 11 women, two men, 10 non-binaries. I would love to know the actual sex of these people. Alas, they do not collect information on sex. They do collect information on everything else, but not sex. Uh, we do know that they had 12 trans people, non-nine trans people, and one person who wasn't sure. Uh, two members of the of the collective were heterosexual. The rest were aromantic, asexual, gay, lesbian, questioning. The vast majority were either bisexual, 10 bisexuals, or queer, 12 bisexuals. And that's compared to one gay and three lesbians. <laughs> <laughs> 
They they had other categories, including immigration status. They're almost all citizens. Uh, direct experience of the criminal justice system. They use justice in square quotes. They have a category for language, income, housing status, class background, parent status, religion. Almost all of them were atheists or agnostic. There are also five Jews, three pagans, one Discordian, which, according to Wikipedia, is centered on the idea that both order and disorder are illusions imposed on the internet by <laughs> sorry, are illusions imposed on the universe by the human nervous system. Yeah, it makes sense to me. I'm sold. Yeah, and one person who specified that she or they is a quote blood <laughs> bloodcraft witch follower of the twin mothers. That, unfortunately, does not have a Wikipedia page. How, what, when did they find the time of its, all this data collection analysis to, like, make coffee and stuff? That's what I want to know. It might not have had many customers. Uh, it will also probably not surprise you to learn that the vast majority of members were white. They did have a special category for whiteness. That included the subcategories, like, racialized as non-white, <laughs> two of them, and conditional whiteness, three of them. That's a Jewish thing. I like that. But that's yeah. like that's like I'm not like the other white. That's like the equivalent. Exactly. Racialized is not white. It's like the the nice white married ladies who come to realize they're queer. Oh, and there was a category for disability, and it will probably also not surprise you to learn that 14 of them said they have some kind of mental health issue. Thought it would be higher, and uh, 12 identify as neurodivergent. Honestly, I'm impressed. The U.S. Census doesn't even have a category for Arabs, and these people are like drilling down into rates of autism. It's very impressive work. Yeah. Good for them. They also did a um, a public accounting of their income and expenses, minimal on both on both counts. Their most profitable month last year was June. Uh, they had a net gain of eight hundred forty six pounds and nineteen pence. They had to divide that among the collective, I assume. Uh, their least profitable month was February, where they had a net loss of two thousand five hundred eighty eight pounds thirty three pence. I want to commend them for their record keeping. Like the Anarchist Cafe in Toronto was not only non-hierarchical, they just talked about it while having an owner. They also didn't publish any of these details. These Scots were fucking thorough. Like you can read all of the minutes from their meetings, which of course I did. Yeah. Uh, they typically started out with a well-being check-in. We should start doing that, Jesse, a well-being check-in before every show. No, you just said I tried to do it. I said, how's <laughs> I said, it going? Don't ask me. <laughs> you refused to engage. Uh, <laughs> that was my well-being check-in. So in February, the notes for their well-being check-in say, quote, we're all tired, fatigued, and injured. Injured? <laughs> help. How injured? They're just like bleeding Lots out. Toast at the yeah. <laughs> they also discuss finances, COVID practices, new shutters, the division of labor, the whiteness of the collective, which was a perennial issue here. And uh, they wanted to address the whiteness of the collective by offering a weekly henna offering. <laughs> I love that idea. Like, who is going to do the henna? Is it going to be like a bunch of white, non-binary, mentally ill people doing the henna? I guess so. I mean, that's who's working there, yeah. That's going to really bring in the diversity. Um, and they discussed upcoming events, which included both a craft night and a meeting on whether or not Zionism is racism. Mm. Cutting edge stuff. Um, as you can imagine, accessibility and inclusivity was a big issue at the Pink Peacock. The website has statements on coronavirus safety and medication, age, alcohol and other substances, animals, chemical sensitivities, families and kids, food and allergies, gender and queerness, Jewishness, languages and communication, lighting, live streams, medications, mobility, money, neurodivergence, race, sound, survivorhood, transportation, visual impairments. And they also have a general statement on tolerance and intolerance. It reads in part, 
We have absolutely zero tolerance for anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, anti-Blackness, anti-Zagazism, anti-Romani bigotry, anti-traveler bigotry, or other forms of racism, homophobia, biphobia, transphobia, acephobia, other forms of queerphobia, ableism, addiction, shaming, stigmatization of people living with HIV, fatphobia, food shaming or body shaming, sexism, whorephobia, ageism, classism, anti-Catholic sectarianism, or other forms of faith-based hatred, bigotry towards people who have been incarcerated, abuse apologism, and rape apologism, and imperialism or xenophobia. I see nothing here about lookism, which I actually do think is is the world's oldest and worst form of bigotry. Yeah. It's very disappointing. Extremely. Okay. Just, so all of that is just from their website. But do you get the vibe of the place based on that? Uh, yes, Katie. I, I think I think we've got it. Yeah. You're picturing this? How, how was this miraculous uh, beacon of tolerance? How did it come about? Okay. So they opened in 2021 after raising over 15,000 pounds through Kickstarter uh, this was covered in the local and Jewish press. Here's a quote from jweekly.com. This is the Jewish news of Northern California. The headline is, Glasgow's Queer Yiddish Anarchist Cafe aims to spark a Jewish revolution in Scotland. Huh. Quote, amid the clattering of pots and pans, the founders plan to host lectures on revolutionary and social themes. Hopefully, said co-founder Morgan Holib. Holib? How do you think, how do you think that's pronounced? Holib. Holib? Okay. I would say Holib. Holib. Know who is transgender and a published author on LGBTQ plus issues, people will hear that we're anarchists and say, oh, this is anarchism. I, th- I thought anarchism meant chaos and smashing windows. Well, he added with a chuckle, sometimes it means smashing windows, but sometimes it means feeding people for free. Huh. So that was a positive article in the Jewish press, but they did have some beef with some other Jewish outlets. Uh, for instance, the Jewish Chronicle apparently reached out for an interview, and uh, they're twanted with this. We'll be happy to do an interview after the JC, that's the Jewish Chronicle, removes and does teshuva. Can you uh, reach back into your Hebrew school? What's that mean? Uh, I assume it's like some forgiveness thing. I, I don't know. Dot, dot, dot. Perhaps you can make things right by doing an article on how Thatcher's in Christian hell now and what that's like. Maybe a drawing? Just one idea. We have so many. Let us run the JC. Why not? Of, of course, they posted this exchange on Twitter. Yeah, that's what you do. Is it even a dunk if you don't show your dunks? Yeah, no. If no one sees a dunk, was it a dunk? Okay, so the pink peacock, they were divisive from the beginning. Like, you can see why assholes like me and you would find this whole project amusing, but even some leftists criticize them. Uh, over what? Well, there were some small things. Like, for instance, they accuse people of being gentrifiers while being gentrifiers themselves. Uh, they they also canceled that that meeting on is Zionism racism. I mentioned that a moment ago. They canceled this at the last minute because one of the groups involved had a, quote, history of sexism and abuse and a failed attempt at accountability for an abuser. So that was problematic. Uh, they also got called out after they posted their own call out on Instagram. So basically what happened is that a Chinese Catholic person sent them a card expressing sympathy on Holocaust Remembrance Day. And then they posted this long call out with the the title, How Not to Do a Holocaust Remembrance. Here's a quote from that. Send a Christian sympathy card. Tell us the victims are at peace. Call it Holocaust Day. Center your guilt. So Basically, they were pissed that someone sent them a sympathy card with a picture of a dove on it. The card, they posted a picture of the card. It read, This card is in memory of all the victims of the Holocaust. May they all rest in peace and never be forgotten, and prayed for day and daily, gone but not forgotten, and be forever in our minds and prayers from a straight Catholic. Peace and love. That's fucked up, isn't it, Jesse? 
how dare no i mean this is just such an example of like how there's certain people you just cannot engage with like yeah. this person tries to send a nice note and it leads to them being shit on on instagram yeah so what they said that you should do instead is send them money <laughs> wait is it because of the holocaust you should send this cafe money yeah here's, here's a quote from their call out allyship that's in scare quotes like this is rough on our jewish and roma and queer staff but donations as small as the cost of the card and postage actually help us. I'm sure they would be absolutely thrilled to get like 75 pence in the mail. Uh, yeah. So they could divide that between the 29 members of the collective. So after they posted this, people in the comments are like, yo, this is Eurocentric. You did a bad solidarity. You're running a space in the most multicultural part of Glasgow. Why would a Chinese person feel guilt about the Holocaust? You should be embarrassed, etc." And they responded to their to that criticism. They said this. We want to clarify that we're not interested in the intentions of whoever sent this letter. What we're saying is that this letter made us upset and we found it inappropriate. You could have very good intentions in wanting to send something like this, but we are asking that people please don't. Thank you to those for sending support. X. So basically, intentions don't matter. Impact does. Which I feel like that's right. sort of gone out of fashion this year, but they're holding on to it. You don't hear it as much these days. No, it's very 2020. So there was just like, surprise, surprise, there was just a lot of drama within this collective. Um, like at one point they put up some merch in their shop that said, fuck the police. And even some anarchists were like, yo, ACAB is an acronym for a reason. You are pu putting a bullseye on the area and on your own safe space. It does seem oddly reasonable for an anarchist. <laughs> and the police did reportedly target them for this. So in June 2021, this is shortly before they actually opened for business, Police officers went to the shop to tell them to take down the fuck the police tote that was displayed in their window and to actually take the tote. Uh, the, the cafe said on Twitter that the police showed up to one of the members' houses and charged him with breach of peace. And this did happen. A police spokesperson said this, quote, police in Glasgow received complaints from the public regarding an item dis displaying offensive language in the windmill of premises in the Victoria Road area of Govan Hill. We can confirm that a 32-year-old man has been charged in connection with breach of peace and the item has been removed from the premises. So they responded by putting up another one and they put up a, Yidd a Yiddish sign and, write, and they wrote, fuck the police on their door, which I got to say, like, in this case, kind of fuck the police. Like, you can't police someone's tote bags. I mean, Scotland yeah. does not have, you know, uh, yeah. freedom of speech the way that we do. But, yeah. First Amendment. Um, yeah. And all of this got a lot of publicity. Most of it was good, like pro-cafe, even though a little hyperbolic. Like, multiple headlines say that the police stormed the cafe, which paints the image of, it like, a SWAT team busting down the doors. But there's video of this. The, the cafe itself posted video. And it's, like, two female cops, one of whom is black, so actually more diverse than the collective itself. And they didn't storm anything. <laughs> like, it's very, very peaceful. So that probably might mark the high point of their tenure. Um, but they did note that there was one microaggression. Uh, in, in addition to the police violence, they tweeted this. The police statement incorrectly says that the director who's been charged, Morgan Holib, is a man. Lots of media outlets are reporting the same. Morgan is non-binary and uses he him pronouns. So uses he him pronouns, but then complains about being referred but, to as a man. Okay. Yes. Do, yes. Do, we, do we know if residents complain about the bag? Like, is that bullshit or did that actually happen? Okay, well, a couple days before this, a resident actually painted over the window that said, fuck the police. So I don't find it hard to believe that at least some locals were upset about it. This area of Glasgow, it is very diverse. It's very multicultural. And I imagine that both immigrants and local Glaswellians or whatever they're called, uh, they would tend Glaswegians? to— Glaswegians? yeah. They would tend to be more conservative than, like, the non-binary, neurodivergent American anarchists who volunteer at the anti-capitalist cafe. Possibly. Uh, yeah. Like, 
my anonymous Glasgow correspondent, he said this, Pink Peacock had a bright pink shop front and posters in the window saying no cops or turfs, etc., and acted in a deliberately provocative way. The average resident of Govan Hill proper, like a second-generation South Asian immigrant, would have been totally bamboozled by that place. Yeah, I mean, that, I don't know. That seems, there's a pattern there with some of that stuff. Yeah, I think there is a tendency for, like, highly progressive leftists, especially white ones, to think that they are, like, speaking for the POC, BIPOC, downtrodden immigrants, and they are not. Yeah, (laughs) their values are often very, very different and not even like immigrants. Like you can look at polling on like how black people feel about trans issues or gay issues to see that the people who pretend to speak for them are actually very out of line with their values. Same thing with like police. Yeah, absolutely. So after this incident, they they put out a statement about their position on police abolition. Uh, It's 23 pages long, of course. (laughs) (laughs) I did read it. It includes a history of policing. It also includes a section called What About the Rapists and Murderers? And the answer to this question is basically police are bad at both preventing crime and solving crime, so they might as well not exist. And let's get rid of prisons while we're at it. To their credit, when their windows were smashed in May 2021, so that's before they opened, they released a statement saying that it might have been a hate crime, but they're not going to help the police find out who did it. Um, another thing that pissed off people, they sold a universal handcuff key, so a, a key that could open any handcuffs. They sold this for three pounds, and they sold it. Um, this was right before the big climate protest in Scotland during the 2021 climate change conference called COP26. The product description read, did you know it's legal to carry a standard police issue handcuff key in the UK? If you get cuffed during the action and you have this to hand, I think that means on hand, your wrist and comrades will thank you. So they're encouraging people to resist arrest, which absolutely will get you double arrested, might get you hurt, and if you're in the U.S., possibly killed. And, it, like, I'm, I don't want to be hyperbolic about the number of people who are killed by the police in the U.S., but, like, this is the number one way to get killed by the police is to resist arrest. Yeah, resist, resisting arrest is a very bad idea. Yeah. Even if you're being arrested uh, in, under unjust circumstances. Yeah. yeah. And so people criticize them for this, and not just, like, pro-cop conservatives, people who, ju- who like, pointed out that you were going to get people hurt. This is a really, really bad idea. And this also happened right around the time that an off-duty police officer was charged with the kidnapping, rape, and murder of a young woman in, in London named Sarah Everhart. Do you remember this? This is a terrible story. I don't, actually. Oh, you it sounds awful. You must not be on, as much on a Turf Ireland Twitter as I am. Um, so this woman, she was walking home at night, and a cop, like, stopped her and basically kidnapped her. And so, Jesus. Yeah, off-duty cop. And so this was seen by some as tone deaf. So here's a representative tweet, some of the criticism. It's not just this latest display of insensitivity, profiteering off a woman's murder, murder and cop baiting. There's a whiteness problem, which they acknowledge in their meeting, board meetings, by the way. There's a trans misogyny problem. There's a transparency accountability, accountability problem. There's so much. And they got you a, did a racism. Yeah. You did an imperialism. You did a profiteering off a woman's murder. So they got a flood of criticism for this. And uh, in the spirit of being better, they posted this response. We posted this with COP26 in mind, not the emerging details of Sarah Everhart's murder. The timing of our post without context was negligent and insensitive, and we're sorry. And then the thread goes on. They say, in light of details of Sarah's murder, all arrests must be treated as kidnappings. This is really, really bad advice. No, that is all the more reason to learn about the different tools available to us. A A fucking handcuff key is not a tool available to you for a reason. This is a very bad idea. 
They also say, we've always gotten mixed reactions from our communities about our overt ACAP messaging. Some people think it puts a target on us and our neighbors. Some people think it's vital to normalize anti-police rhetoric and it makes them feel safer. Since very few physical spaces are explicitly committed to abolition, especially Jewish spaces, we have decided to be vocal about it. So, sorry, not sorry. Yeah. And there were bigger things. Like they were accused of targeting another local business, a coffee shop, uh, that they accused of being gentrifiers. And there were rumors that they graffitied a building with the words posh London cunts and not wanted here. And that they put dog shit in their mailbox. Hmm. Now, I tried to confirm this with the – this is like – there's lots of rumors about this. I tried to confirm this with the alleged victims. They didn't get back to me. So at this point, it's just a rumor. But – Whatever good vibes the business had accumulated, especially after the cops took their fuck the police tote bag, they really just evaporated around this time. And basically everyone hated them. So if you look at Glasgow Reddit groups, even people who support them politically or who are aligned with them or anarchists, they fucking hate them as people. So here's a representative comment from Reddit. This person calls them, quote, self-important gentrifiers by stealth who demand a living wage for all in one breath and ask for volunteers to work in their cafe for free the next. I'm somewhere to the left of Che Guevara, but this mob are not good. And that seemed to be the tone, but they kept making news. So in May of this year, around the time that the Harry Potter video game was released in the UK, they decided to go outside the shop and publicly burn a copy of a first edition Harry Potter book. They posted a video of this on Instagram with the caption, instead of paying a turf for a bad video game with a literal Nazi on the writing staff. What? So that is a not a, re- a reference to J.K. Rowling. That is a reference to a game developer who apparently used to make like anti-feminist pro-gamergate videos. Okay, so clearly if someone made pro-gamergate and anti-feminist videos or an actual Nazi, that makes sense. I mean, he literally killed Jews. With his words. Um Okay, so they so they're burning their book burning this anarchist cafe. Yeah. Okay, so we have video of this. Would you like to see it? Oh, I'd love to. Why don't you narrate this for us? Okay, so it's a TikTok video that says, "Let's burn a book." Yeah, it's like a woman dressed as a witch. Oh man! (laughs) Oh oh no no. God also hates turfs. This feels empowering. I want to do hormones about it. Misha, do you think I should take my hormones, Misha? I do. <laughs> do you think I should put my hormones on and become a real boy? How do I do this? Is it so, this is my first time. It's fi- five pumps. Is it five pumps? Yeah, full, like full pumps. So it'll take a minute. The person who is wearing the witch hat is now rubbing no testosterone five. gel on her arm. Or their arm, his arm, its arm. And then on, your, on your... And on the upper arm? On the upper arm, yeah. Uh, in numerology. Uh, coincidentally, we're born in burning the fifth Harry Potter book, which is my favorite when I was a depressed, abused child. Uh, but now I'm a less depressed, less abused, big grown man who loves his hormones and hates Joanne Rowling. <laughs> Happy Bonfire Day! <laughs> Dude, everyone involved in this comes across as so unwell. It's just such a bummer. And also, like, book burning just, like, does, like, viscerally disturb me. I don't know. It looks like they're dousing it with gasoline. Donate and find out more at pinkpeacock.gay. Yeah. This is not, like, a little tiny fire in a fireplace. Like, they have this book burning in what looks like a cake sheet pan or something, and at first it doesn't really light. So, yes, they they have, like, some kind of propellant on it. Uh, And it was on it sitting on a table with a tablecloth. 
Like, the whole thing is very, very dumb. And in fact, the police and the fire brigade were called because these people are very stupid. Dude, it's like, it's all, I mean, book, a book burning is just viscerally upsetting, but this like cheerful person who's like just on a whim, like, oh, I'm going to rub testosterone in my body now. It's just, yeah. it's just, these people seem so fucking unwell and so happy about. Ugh, uh, that video was a bummer. Yeah, so they did get some likes and some positive comments. Do you think if you rub testosterone on your on your bicep like that, like, do you get? I might try that. Get bigger. I've been working out. You know, you should. You could yeah, use some some too. upper yeah. body strength. Yeah. Okay, so they did get some likes and some positive comments, but many people were not impressed by this, and not just turfs. And considering how many how activists like at Blink viscerally can't stand Joe Rolling now. It tells you something that they did not get universal praise for this. So here's the top comment on on, on Instagram. Yeah. As a queer anarchist to comrades, I'm really upset that you think book burning is a good idea. Firstly, to burn a book in the middle of a busy street and then pour propellants on it is incredibly, incredibly dangerous. You could have started a major fire in the area where the quality of housing is known to be very mixed and where vulnerable people are living in overcrowded conditions. It's also quite jarring because of the history behind book burning, which I'm sure you'll already be very much aware of. Of all of the things to try and reclaim, book burning isn't one of them. Preach it, brother or sister. A lot <laughs> they them envy. So a lot of them also compared them to Nazis, and this was covered in the press. An outlet called the National, they got a, a statement from the Pink Peacock. They said, quote our burning of a first edition Harry Potter was not an echo of the Nazi book burning for several key reasons. We are a not-for-profit cafe, not a government or army. We burned a single book, not all copies of it. The book was chosen for its bigotry, not the racial, sexual, gender identity of its author. And we are not attempting, nor are we, a small cafe capable of committing murder or cultural genocide. Dot, dot, dot. We do not have the power of a billionaire turf, and destroying a copy of her book does not cause anyone harm. J.K. Rowling's racist and anti-Semitic caricatures and lobbying to ban trans people from public life does. Does, has she done that, Jesse? There's, I know there's like these create people after they got mad at her about the trans stuff, they tried to argue that like some of the one of the races or characters was anti-Semitic, right? I don't even know the details, but I just it's a, like a goblin in the movie has a big nose. Okay, yeah, it's I'm I'm sure it's bullshit because I've seen a lot of the other arguments people have made that don't really make sense. So well, and there's the whole thing about Harry Potter, Potter and the missing foreskin. There's also she did it was never published, but uh, Harry Potter and six million. Are you sure it's that high? So. <laughs> Okay, not so, a good book. I did not like that. It's just Harry Potter going to like weird conferences and reading weird newsletters. Really? <laughs> so this uh, victorious book burning this happened on May 9th of this year. It was just a couple weeks before the cafe closed for good, and the closure probably didn't come as a shock to people who'd been watching this. They'd started closing on random days with more frequency, like they canceled Purim celebrations. What is Purim, Jesse? Did you learn that in Hebrew school? Purim? 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 It's the victory over Haman. Haman. And we you do noisemakers, you dress up. It's like the Jewish Halloween. Is it? Do you wear drag? Do you do drag story hour? I mean, you can. Okay. I have no problem with that. Uh, they also closed early because of low spoons on February 19th. <laughs> they closed. Wait, that was the stated reason? <laughs> Insufficient spoons? <laughs> they closed just because on February 27th. They closed on April 25th, then again from May 6th to May 13th. And then they announced actually we're going to be closed until May 20th. Uh, they said that these closures were for staff training and then more staff training, which to me sounds like a euphemism for we don't fucking feel like working for free anymore. And then on June 6th, they announced that it was over. The pink, pink peacock was closing for good. They, of course, released a statement, which is, of course, long as hell. First, they said it's burnout, quote, We've all been volunteers this whole time, and like everyone, we're struggling under capitalism and curiarchy. 
Um, that's like the patriarchy, but more patriarchal. No, is it karyarchy? One of those, I remember this was like really popular for a while. It's like, hold on a social. Oh yeah. It's a little tautological. I think in feminist theory, karyarchy is a social system or set of connecting social systems built around domination, oppression, and submission. It's a little bit circular. Yeah, whatever. Anyway. Most of us are disabled and the ongoing pandemic is still hurting our collective physical and mental health. The constant battle to keep ourselves financially afloat didn't help. Uh, they also had this to say, on top of the expected right-wing backlash from turfs and bootlickers, we have received a frankly astonishing amount of anti-Semitic vitriol over the past three years from self-described leftists who have doxed us, harassed us online and off, and spread rumors about us being landlords, bosses, profiting off the Holocaust, and shitting in mailboxes. <laughs> <laughs> that classic anti-Semitic canard, that Jews shit in mailboxes. And of course, there was some internal drama as well. They write, some of us have also faced racism internally from the collective, as is the pressingly common in majority white left spaces. The racist harm was diminished, and the people of color will not support it, but met with defensiveness and sea lioning from some white collective members. In the end, Ooh. the sea liners resigned or were removed, followed by others who worried about the implications, scare quotes, of centering the people of color when it comes to racism. The whole episode dwindled morale, cut our capacity, and named our spirits. I didn't know you could sea lion in real life. I thought sea lioning was just an online Uh This to me, the, I don't know if it's the spelling or something, but all of this to me reads like an American wrote it. Yeah, absolutely. Is it? I mean, I I don't I shouldn't say absolutely, but yes, it reads like that. They have no no use after their like. Isn't sea lion in the UK? It would be L I O U N. L I O U N E. Yeah. Uh, so you might think that this closure led to a wave of sympathy and support across Glasgow and the internet. Alas, it did not. As my anon- anonymous Glasgow correspondent said. Pink Peacock was so toxic that me and my gay and trans friends hated them. And this person, by the way, is not your average bar pod listening gender critical feminist. Uh, He said he was a pro GRA reform and doesn't like JK Rowling. Um, Online, people mostly mock them for being self-righteous bellends, which is a term I recently learned and has nothing to do with bells. Did you know that, Jesse? Oh, bellend is a great term. Yeah. Did you know? Did you know what it means? I just had, I looked it up recently. I thought I assumed it was like anatomical. I don't know. What's the technical definition? It is anatomical. Nice. Yeah, it's like the the head of a penis. That's a circumcised or uncircumcised. I think. Well, it's the UK, so probably un. Exactly. Okay, so here's what the pink peacock tweeted after announcing their closure. Fuck, man, it's depressing to see people in our mentions gleefully celebrate our closure. People will literally <laughs> go hungry without us. Uh, that's awesome. And in that same thread, they again blame anti-Semitism for their closure, but people just weren't buying it. There's an Instagram account called Chips and Donner. Donner, like donor kebab. Yeah, Is it a, Donner. Well, it's like doner, donor? doner kebab or donor. All right, UK, UK listeners, get, us, get back to us on that. All right, uh, let's. Well, no, it's from Germany. All right, whatever. We we get it. You've been to Germany. Let's read a few of these responses. Glasgow didn't need you to come and save us. You'll move to another city and try the same scam, and you'll tell everyone who will listen that anti-Semitism and and transphobia drove you out of the city. You'll badmouth us and play the victim. This tweet is the reason you're leaving. We were all excited at the prospect of a Jewish queer cafe. We donated to it. We spread the word. But you fucked it up through your own arrogance and narcissism and ridiculous and illegal stunts. And now you're going to use victimhood. Here's another one. 
The fact is, you and your volunteers made sure your cafe was always destined to close when it was clear you were trying to intimidate local businesses who'd been there for years under the pretense of gentrification, which is ironic considering you added nothing to the area or the city apart from your bigotry towards anyone who didn't fit. You failed because opening whenever you could be bothered while selling piss-poor coffee and average food in a cafe that often resembled a messy student's bedroom isn't going to bring the punters in. Do you know what punters are? Aren't they like the wor- people working? Like people actually with jobs? Like working working class? And be honest here, you're closing because you can't afford to fix a disabled toilet. You'll all be fine, though. You've got trust funds and wealthy parents who will help fund your next doomed-to-fail venture, but those poor wee sods that did rely upon you will be let down by nobody but you. Maybe next time, try not to alienate locals, especially women and actual left-wingers. Have a wee bit of humility. Hell, just having a shower every week would start. (laughs) So it was a lot of that. Uh, Your place was a fucking disgrace. You displayed more hatred and bigotry than any of the folk you were accusing. You didn't fail because of the system. You failed because you were a pseudo-intellectual circle jerk with staff who are abusive. Fuck off and good riddance. Honestly, I found the near-universal condemnation of this place sort of refreshing. Like, it's sort of nice when communists, anarchists, capitalists, turfs, and trans activists can all come together and decide that something sucks. I do think that— It's so rare in this divided world of ours. It is. I do think that a lot of the ire came from the fact that at least a couple of the founders were American, and I totally understand that. We are not sending our best, as the orange man once said. No, we're not. All right, Jesse, that is it for the pink peacock. Rest in peace. They will probably emerge somewhere else. I'm really sad I didn't get to go there. Sounds like it would have been a welcoming place for a left-wing Jew such as myself. Especially when it's queer as you. Thank you for that, Katie. This has been Blocked and Reported. As always, we were produced with help from Tracing Woodgrains and the mysterious Lex. I'm Jesse Single, and remember, look, I know I asked for foreskin last week, but you sent me more than enough, and I have no place to put it. Please stop. And I'm Katie Herzog, and also remember, the funny thing about that is that Jesse's missing foreskin is actually called the Pink Peacock. <laughs>